Hi everyone, Kate here and in this chat we're going to be talking with Sam who openly shares her journey with depression. This is a trigger warning as in this recording we discuss mental health and suicide. A big thank you to Sam for sharing her incredible story and just a warning that there is a little bit, bit of background noise going on. So what is your story with depression? So um, a couple of years ago, I think it was in 2018, I had quite a uh, traumatic break up with a long-term partner which mm -hmm. was the uh, triggering point for my depression and I was diagnosed with um, a reactive major depression. It sort of took a while for me to realise that I wasn't just sad and going through a bad breakup like many people do and lots of you know, young women have horrible breakups and yeah. don't get depressed so yeah. I think I put off sort of getting help for a little while. Associated with that, um, I lost my appetite completely. Yep. So I wasn't eating at all. I was sort of living on a cup of tea a day. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't sleeping. That was like a really, really big thing. That was probably what pushed me to go to the GP in the first place. Was I couldn't. I was getting maybe an hour or two of sleep a day, and still trying to go to work and yeah, my life. Was it just tossing and turning all night? Um, there was elements of that, yeah. I think the major bit was that it felt like I couldn't turn my brain off. Um, I've always had a bit of anxiety and, and struggled with lots of sort of racing thoughts and struggling to fall asleep anyways. Um, but it got just in so much worse with, yeah. with all of this. Um, and the fact that I wasn't you know, eating properly never helps with sleeping. And I, it was mainly just that I felt that I couldn't turn my brain off and um, I was just awake all night really yep. um i also had quite a lot of fatigue throughout the day mm -hmm. um and i had some sort of physical symptoms of you know tummy upsets which are associated with anxiety and you know, needing to talk a little more frequently clenching my jaw um just being generally very tense yeah um those were sort of the, the things that really uh made me go to the GP in the first place. Not that I thought I had depression or that I was depressed. I just wanted some help sleeping. Yeah. So I went to my GP and she was absolutely amazing um, and straight away gave me a week off work because uh, I'd been struggling trying to go to work and feeling safe in my job and I work as a nurse looking after people and, you know, it's a priority that I have to be able to do my job safely. Yeah. Um, and even just sort of driving to and from work on really little sleep was quite a scary thing for me to do. Um, she gave me a script for some sleeping tablets for short term and I think the best thing that she did for me initially was to say that she was concerned about me and that I was going through a really hard time and that it might be depression and that she wanted to see me again in a few days. Yeah. Um, and she was great in the sense that she uh, made sure that she followed me up. So it went from seeing her sort of every two to three days to then seeing her weekly. Um, and she started me on some antidepressants and recommended a psychologist to me. And yep. um, that's where things sort of somewhat started to get a bit better. So, uh, yes, the GP really helped. Um, things started to get a little bit easier for me. I was sleeping a bit more. I was eating a little bit more. Um, which I think was a combination of seeing my psychologist and being on medication to help with that. 
um, but the uh, downside, I guess, or the risk that you always get going on medication is I was also having thoughts of suicide and yeah. not wanting to be here or wanting to hurt myself. Yeah. Um, and once you get on medications and the medications sort of start working and you start getting more energy, then that risk of actually going through and committing suicide can get a bit higher, which a lot of people don't um, recognise. Right, I didn't um, know that. Yeah, which is it's around that sort of six-week mark, six to eight-week mark of being on medications yeah. um, where you get that sort of peak in energy and you're still profoundly sad and you're still going through a really hard yeah. time, but um, you sort of have more power to, to go through with something that yeah. I deep down didn't want to go through with but was still having those thoughts. Yeah. And that's what led me to getting myself triaged at my own workplace and wow. getting admitted to a mental health unit just under two weeks yeah that was the really um big turning point in yeah in my, my depression and, and what helped me to, to was it um admit yourself at your own workplace or was that not really a barrier uh, at yeah, that moment it was a bit of a uh tough decision on my part i think being in healthcare um and being in an emergency department i sort of know uh what to say not to be admitted and what to say to be able to make people think that you're okay um, mm-hmm. in, in that sort of acute setting. Um, and I, I tossed it and turned the idea of do I go somewhere where I don't know anyone and, you know, it's a bit easier to go somewhere that's not your workplace. Yep. Um, but then I also had the thoughts that if I didn't go somewhere where I knew everyone, I don't think I'd be true to myself and I probably might have pulled out of, of um, the situation and, and just pretended like I was okay and, you know, yeah. who knows what would have happened if, if that was the yeah. case. So um, for me personally, I found it better going to my own workplace and mm-hmm. I also sort of tried to take the stance of, um, you know, if, if this was a broken arm or if I thought I had appendicitis, I would have no issues going to my own workplace. So exactly. I shouldn't have any issues in going to my own workplace just because it's a mental health issue. Yeah, exactly. So how would you describe feeling at your lowest? Um, I sort of went through this question with my best friend who really helped me mm-hmm. through a lot of it and um, the word that she just remembered me using all the time was feeling really numb and really empty. Yeah. Um, just like this profound emptiness um and who you were as a person just didn't quite exist anymore um but I also found it quite uh strange that along with that emptiness and feeling numb was also this feeling of just really intense emotion and thoughts as well yeah um which kind of doesn't make sense but I think people that are going through it will will sort of understand yeah that rationale yeah Um, again I just that feeling of like not being able to turn your brain off mm-hmm. is a really horrible feeling um, and having this sort of racing thoughts and just continued thoughts is really exhausting um, mentally and then also just physically it takes up a lot of energy using up all of that yep. space. Um, Can I ask whether your thoughts about just your day-to-day activities or was it reflecting upon the past relationship or a combination? Um, I think it was, a, it was a combination. It was a lot of reflecting about what had happened and what had gone wrong or um, what I could have done differently yep. um, going through you know the actual breakup itself just replaying that moment over and over again yep. um, I'd get in these sort of bad cycles of having a thought or an experience and my brain would sort of 
put it on a loop mm-hmm. um, and that got really bad when my um, suicidal thoughts started to really intensify yeah. um, and my brain would sort of just repeat the same you're not worth it you're not you shouldn't be here you may as well just get rid of yourself sort of thoughts and they on a loop is a really scary and a really horrible feeling yeah um, very confronting really confronting yeah. yeah and I was living alone at the time and I wasn't sort of very close to any family or friends um I just moved into a new house that I built so yeah um I think that compounded yeah those issues of of feeling really by yourself yeah and alone yeah so how was your experience in the mental health unit being initially admitted was one of the scariest things I've ever done I think uh most people have visited a hospital before, um, whether that's for themselves or visiting a loved one. And so you know what a ward looks like and you know you know how the nurses work and um, that it's not a scary place. Um, but not many people have been through a mental health unit. Mm-hmm. Um, not many people talk about what it's like to be in a mental health unit. So it's just this sort of fear of the unknown. I also had this strange feeling of being a nurse myself when I got admitted, you know, I could see all the nurses in the nursing station and I was one of the patients and mm. that sort of feeling of being like I thought I was on the wrong side of the glass and yep. I didn't fit where I was. It took a little while to get over. People, I think, or myself especially, was sort of uh, concerned about what my fellow patients would be like. Um, right. Because you're not just admitted with other people who are depressed and you know going through suicidal thoughts. You're yep. admitted with people who might have schizophrenia or bipolar or other mental health diagnoses that people would generally identify as you know more severe or more scary than just um a depression yeah i otherwise once i got over that initial fact i absolutely loved it it was the best thing that i could have done for myself at that time um i knew i was safe which was a a big thing for me I just didn't feel safe being at home by myself yeah um and I was really lucky enough where I was admitted I got um sort of transferred to one of the low risk wards so it was more set up like a house you know mm-hmm. a couch and a tv and we got to part of the rehab process was um cooking meals together um, there's quite there's quite a structure to your days and that's mm-hmm. a big part of being admitted to a mental health unit it's they want to try and get you back into a normal routine um yep. and a life routine so you'd get up around the same time they wake you up at sort of seven eight o'clock to have your medication and then you'd get up and have breakfast there'd be a daily activity you'd go for a walk um and you know if you wanted to you could help with your lunch there'd be an afternoon activity um and then bedtime was sort of around the same time you know whatever that was for you but yeah there was this sort of general routine that I hadn't had in my life for a long time um for the you know months that it was before I actually got admitted the other benefit that I really found was um I hadn't seen a psychiatrist I'd only been seeing my GP which she was great Mm -hmm. um but I think I needed a little bit uh further input from specialists that Mm -hmm. work in mental health so um, the psychiatrist increased my medications and they also started me on an antipsychotic which was really scary but Mm -hmm. their sort of rationale and I guess people wouldn't know that antipsychotics can be used in in depression and for me I got down to a weight of almost 30 I think it was 35 kilos was my lowest um and I normally sit around 50 so I wasn't eating and I still wasn't sleeping great because I didn't like sleeping tablets so the antipsychotics there 
side effects, I guess, are they make you eat a lot and right. they make you sleep a lot. Okay. Um, so that was kind of perfect as an adjunct to my antidepressants yep. to then help me put weight on yep. and help me get a good night's sleep. Yeah. Can you know you need sleep for your brain to be able to repair itself and to be able to function. Um, I also got to see a psychologist, uh, if not every day, every second day, mm-hmm. um, and it was someone really different to the psychologist that I'd been seeing. Uh, so I got a lot of out a lot out of his approach to psychology compared to what I my psychologist that I've been seeing in um, the community yeah and I really enjoyed having uh, like another viewpoint yeah um but yeah it was it was great my best friend came and visited me every single day so that was incredible and the whole thing like to have her there yeah she'd come before a shift she was also a nurse or she'd come on the weekend and just having a familiar face to see um was really really helpful yeah Yep. And so what did you enjoy most about seeing your psychologist? Um, So my psychologist in the unit was um, a man who sort of based a lot of his psychology off of um, like how humans have developed over over the years and how the brain has developed. And um, he really sort of went back into my past a lot more than what I'd looked into and helped me identify that, you know, I'd probably been suffering with anxiety for a long time and just wasn't quite aware to it Um, and that I was probably quite prone to depression given my family history and um, a few different factors, which I never really thought of. I thought it was all just situational and because, you know, my boyfriend had broken up with me, that's why. My community psychologist was quite different in the way that she um allowed me to just talk and have an impartial person to put all of my feelings and thoughts on um I think a lot of the hard part around mental health and talking to someone about your mental health is people feel like they don't want to burden their friends and their family um so by seeing someone who you don't know and you know is being paid and is there as that secondary outside person, it's it's a lot easier to just let everything out and mm. um, yeah, it's like verbal diarrhea once it gets started. Yeah. You know, yep. like you can just let it all out, and you don't you know that they're not going to judge you, and that um, they don't know who you're talking about. They don't know the ins and out of your life and your relationships. And um, I found that a lot easier. And she had a big emphasis on more of the um, cognitive behavioral therapy side of things. So putting um, different practices in place for when my anxiety got bad or when I was having those horrible loops of suicidal thoughts, what I could do to break that and how I could change my thought pattern. Yeah. Yeah. And so you've talked a little bit about some of the side effects of the antidepressants. Mm. Do you want to delve into a bit more about that? Mm, Yeah. So everyone's really different in the the side effects that they get. I think um, the main sort of side effects that people generally experience is um, weight gain. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, which obviously as generally as you know young women and women in society weight gain is something that's sort of frowned upon and, and they don't want to happen in my case I was having the opposite problem um, but once I got put on the antipsychotics that weight gain really took effect and I ended up you know being the heaviest that I'd ever been mm-hmm. I've gone from 35 kilos up to um, 58 kilos I think it was at my heaviest um, which isn't heavy at all but it was another change for me to sort of 
yep. take on board. Mm-hmm. Um, people often get a really um, low libido with antidepressants, um, which probably was the case for me, but, you know, I didn't have a partner. I wasn't seeing people. I, I wasn't interested in sex at all, but I don't know what the relationship yep. between that was. I wasn't really interested in, you know, masturbating or anything exploring my own sexual health in yep. that sense either. Um, so that may have contributed to that. I think a lot of people can, well, for me on the antipsychotics as well, the sleep side of things, it made me really drowsy and it took a while to really figure out a dose that I could actually, you know, it was amazing being able to sleep a full night for the first time, but then it also meant I took the same dose the next morning that they prescribed and it meant I couldn't stay awake past 11am and trying to figure out how to get by on on being, you know, the right doses. And um, I think that's a big thing with with any medication really but especially something that you're going to be on long term and mental health medication you need to really um see your psychiatrist or your gp closely and and stick with it for a while um for antidepressants because they do take a while to take effect and um, build up a tolerance in your in your body um so that is that sort of like six to eight week period and until you should start seeing any effects at all Mm -hmm. um, of your mood stabilizing um and i think for me as well uh I didn't quite, I was quite scared to go on antidepressants. I, I thought they were a bit of a taboo and, you know, if yeah. you start getting put on medication, then you really have a problem or you're going to be on that medication for the rest of your life and you're never going to be able to be happy without it. Um, but my psychologist made a really good point that it's not the medication that's going to cure or fix or make your depression manageable. It's just going to be there to stabilize your mood. And instead of having the huge ups and the huge downs and or the, the prolonged downs, it sort of just makes everything sit a bit more stable in the middle where it, where it should be with the small ups and downs. Yeah. Um, and it's everything else that you do, your support networks, your psychologist, your GP, whoever it is that um, all that other extra work that you put into your mental health is what's going to help your depression more than the medication. Yeah. So what are some of the things that helped you to cure your depression? My support network. Um, I think it's important to sort of make note that for me personally with my major depression, it was quite a reactive depression, which meant I had – I was able to completely come off medication and at the moment I'm not seeing a psychologist regularly – but that's not the case for everyone and depression hits everyone in different ways. Um, and you may just be someone who has major depression for the rest of their life. And so you may not necessarily be cured as such in quotations. Yeah. Um, but for me, the things that really helped me to feel like I was really happy and enjoying life and living my life as I was before was my support network 100 Mm -hmm. um my friends my best friend in particular she was a rock for me and my dad was a really really um, close person who would call me every day and check in on me and and made a big difference my support network also included you know my psychologist my GP my dog you know Mm. everyone that means something to me um, medication definitely helped, uh, being able to stabilize my mood and, and not be in that huge, deep, deep lull of the depression is, is so necessary for mm-hmm. a lot of people when, when they're in that, that hole of depression. Um, and I think for me personally, once my suicidal thoughts got out of control and I felt really unsafe and I sort of was at a point that I didn't think I would be able to maintain my own safety 
without help that that admission that I had was the best thing for me at that time but that doesn't mean that everyone needs to be admitted to a psych ward when you've got depression there's plenty of people that can manage it in the community and you know the majority of people will manage it in the community as well yeah yeah and so what stigma do you think is behind mental health Uh, um, there's big stigma behind Um, mental health I think coming from um coming from a, a nursing background I think I have quite a lot of insight into um, it was interesting when I was sort of in the throes of that what I could personally see and put it against the patients that I see Um, and I would say you know if I saw a patient that came in who was depressed and suicidal I would never have any judgment to them but yet when I was going through it myself I thought I can't tell anyone that I am having these thoughts of killing myself because they're going to think I'm crazy they're going to think that you know I'm not safe to be in society or that they can't leave me alone for one minute because I might do something. Um, And I think there's a big difference between having a mental health problem and this general stigma that people think when you have a mental health diagnosis, you're crazy because we're not. No (laughs) No one's crazy. You know, crazy is not anything. I think think people who go swimming in the ocean in winter at 5 a.m., that's crazy, (laughs) not someone who's got depression. Yeah. um, There's also this huge... Uh, variability in mental health diagnoses um and I'm quite lucky in the sense that you know I'm white and I'm a female in a profession that is mainly female oriented so I had a lot of people that you know were close girlfriends of mine that were really supportive and know how mental health works and were really encouraging um but I think there's a big stigma between um people think mental health affects men a lot more and that you know, um, if you've got schizophrenia or something like that, that you're going to be a man and you're going to be someone who lives on the streets and Mm. doesn't have a life and it's just not the case at all. Um, I think there's a big stigma around getting help um, and a worry that if you try and seek help that people will just want to sort of lock you away. It really isn't the case at all. Um, And I think there's also this feeling that a lot of people don't want to seek help like I said before, because they think it's a burden or they, they're worried about what people think of them. And to that, I just say, like, things really can get better, but no one knows, you know, it's a bit of an invisible illness. Yeah. And no one knows what you're going through unless you tell someone. Um, and without telling anyone, then you're never going to get the help that you need and you're never going to get on right the right path. So you really need to just find that, even if it's just one person, that you feel comfortable with that can help lead you to the right path because you know when you're in the throes of it you're not thinking straight and you don't know how to how to help yourself yeah um so be that you know a friend or if you're not comfortable talking to your family or your friends go and see a gp and get him get a mental health care plan and and get things sorted that way and you know when you're ready you can then open up to your family and friends and get the support from them yeah and so is that what you would say would be the best for someone to do right now that might be feeling quite down yeah and at their lowest if anyone's in that space of, you know, they're, they're really sad and they're not functioning and, you know, it's going on, it's it's not just, I, I, you know, I didn't get the promotion that I wanted so I'm a bit sad, I'll get over it in a few days. It's this prolonged sadness and any associated symptoms with that that make daily living hard. You just need to see someone to get help. So whether that's your GP, 
whether that's going to a friend, you know, Headspace is really great and you can do your own referrals to see a psychologist. You don't need to see a GP. Um, there's Lifeline and, they, you know, um, Lifeline as well has got this new service. Well, it's being promoted a lot more. It's not that new actually, but where they can, you can text them if it's, there's between certain hours, I think it's 10 and 8 p.m. Um, and you don't actually have to even talk to anyone on the phone because I know that was a big thing for me. I thought about calling Lifeline a few times, but I didn't want to actually have to talk to someone on the phone because for some reason mm. our generation hates talking to people yeah, on the phone. We do. <laughs> so this texting service, if I knew about that, you know, I may have used that um, back then. But just getting help and talking to someone is going to be the best thing for you. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much. No thank you so much for listening to our chat with Sam. Prioritising your mental health is so important. Please find the contact details for some of Australia's major mental health resources on the screen. The more we openly discuss our mental health, the more we can reduce the stigma and taboo around these topics.